You're listening to the Run For Your Lives podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Daphne. And I'm Pake. And this is the Run for Your Lives podcast. This episode is the post-apocalyptic science fiction film, The Girl with All the Gifts, directed by Colin McCarthy, released in the U.S. on September 23rd, 2017. Ooh. It has been that long already. It has. Uh, I guess that makes sense. I was looking at the, the, the book, which we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, you know. Yes. was released back in 2013, which... That, I was like, that didn't feel like that long ago. But, uh... <laughs> I know. I remember watching this movie the first time, but I've not seen it since. So uh-huh. this was a revisit to it. And I just finished reading the book prior to watching the movie again. Nice. Yeah. Uh So, yeah, we'll talk about that then here. Uh, just, this is based off of... You know, yes, obviously the book from 2013 written by M.R. Carey under the same name that if not my favorite book of all time, it's definitely up there. It's M.R. Carey is my favorite author of all time. If I have to say, who's your favorite author? Easily him, because I mean, he's, he put out like another series of stuff and did some like uh, Marvel comics and things under a different name. But uh Every novel he has released under M.R. Carey, I either have read or own and am <laughs> planning to read soon. Like, they're in my, <laughs> that, that, my stack. Uh, yeah, he's just an incredible author, and I love his voice and his style and the stories that he tells, because it's all very... There's a lot of heart and a lot of deep character things. You really feel connected to the characters he writes. Like, you know them personally, but then he always knows how to break your heart in the best ways, because everything he writes is dark and like depressing in a lot of ways. And he, yeah, there's a lot of uh, horror and thriller aspects, and he really knows how to to manipulate your emotions with the characters that he makes you love. So <laughs> I have to give him a lot of credit for that. So hopefully, if he hears this, I don't know, throwing that out there, I love you, love your work, huge <laughs> fan, and just. So it's I it, it's been a long time coming to finally cover this movie. I'm glad that we're getting to do it. Yes, me too. I had never read the book until recently. I really enjoyed the way that he broke the characters down. The way he told the story and was so descriptive of mm-hmm. every character so you could build you could build the characters in your head. And I had forgotten a lot about the movie while I was reading the book. So it was like it was a new story to me because it had been a couple uh-huh. years since I'd seen the movie. And I really built characters up in my head from reading the book. And then I go and watch the movie and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. There is some differences. Yeah, uh, there, are, there are definitely differences, which is funny enough, as huge of a fan as I am, you may be a little more equipped to talk about some of those comparisons today just because you're really fresh off of just finishing reading it and it's it's been a few years since i read it so it'll you know that that'll be fun but you know the story itself because yeah i mean i read it when it was pretty new not long after it came out and was a big fan of it so i mean 
the movie wasn't out, wasn't really a thing. And so I remember seeing the movie was happening, seeing some of the casting things and like really following the process up before the movie actually was made and came out. That was really cool for me to, to, to do that. And then since the movie came out, I've seen it several times. I, <laughs> so yeah, it's, I'm a big fan of, of this. So it's cool to, to talk about it. Yeah. We thought it would be fun to talk about this movie, especially because Pate gave me this book last year when we met and I've had it sitting on my desk because I wanted to read it and I didn't like take the time. So we set a goal of being able to cover this movie and I wanted to read the book before we covered it. So we just set a date. Okay, we're going to do this. I think I can get through the book by then. And so that's what we did. And so this should be a really fun discussion. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started with some production notes. Filming uh, took place in the West Midlands and Staffordshire in England and included drone footage of Pripyat and Chernobyl in Ukraine. The footage of Chernobyl stood in for an urban-looking London after an apocalypse. Yeah. Based on the 2013 novel of the same name by M.R. Carey, which we talked about, he wrote the book and the screenplay at the same time. Yeah. Which is kind of cool because there are differences between the two. Yeah. <laughs> Originally, it was titled She Who Brings the Gifts, but was changed to match the book, which is The Girl with All the Gifts. The title is a reference to the ancient Greek legend of Pandora, who was the gift giver. Mm -hmm. Great uh, way they, they throw that in there. Just to give a little I you know input on the movie is <clears throat> jumping the gun a little bit to do that. But while it's on my mind, you're like, why not? Is I mean, it's cool that, I mean, Miss Justino tells the story of Pandora to Melanie and the students with that. I mean, it's kind of based off of somebody because of their curiosity and their uniqueness mm -hmm. ends up, you know, throwing every bad and evil thing in the eyes of a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. onto the earth and kind of in, you know, brings upon all of this destruction, but there's also hope there. Maybe yeah. not for the people who, uh, Thought they would have the hope, but hope for somebody. Yes. Right? <laughs> Definitely. The story of Pandora is one that I've heard a few times, so it was cool to hear it told this way to the classroom of children mm -hmm. by Miss Justino. So the budget for this movie was about four million pounds, which is just under five million dollars, and it grows four point zero eight million at the box office it is 111 minutes long Pake, bring on a synopsis all right in the least spoilery imaginable synopsis i could find a scientist and a teacher living in a dystopian future embark on a journey of survival with a special young girl named melanie oh melanie <laughs> yes there's a lot about melanie that we're going to get into Having this discussion, oh, yeah. for sure, because I feel she is the main character. Oh, for sure. She is the girl. She is the girl. All the gifts. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, yeah, there's just so much to talk about. Um, there was one part when I was going through the book that stuck out to me, which was, 
people show their true colors when they face the most dire of circumstances. And I think we see that a lot in the movie and the book. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. And so as we do on this podcast, kind of break things down character by character. But again, in a story like this, when all of the main characters are kind of all together at the same time, doing everything together, we're going to jump around all over the place. Uh, yes, Try we to are. stay coherent and, and through the movie, but we'll also, I know how I am. We'll be talking about something that happened at the beginning of the movie, and I'll be like, and that brings us to the very end of the movie because it ties in because this happened. Because that's how <laughs> I work. But, you know, that's okay because hopefully those listening to this have seen the movie and we can spoil it all over and jump all over the place and not worry about it. And if you, and then those who have not seen the movie but listen, well, they're going to hear the whole movie anyway by the end of the podcast. And yes. That's, they know what they're getting into. So, <laughs> well, I think we can start off by saying, I'll, at least I can say, I really recommend that you read the book. Even if you've seen the movie, I think you should read the book because there are, there's just this way of storytelling that M.R. Carey presents to you and th it pulls you in so that yeah. you really do care about the characters and you are devastated at times because it breaks your heart. Mm -hmm. But it all drives the story to where it ends. And as Paik said a few minutes ago, it gives hope to the people. It gives hope to some people, but maybe not the people that you were thinking would get the hope. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, the book definitely, I mean, as is always going to be the case. I don't think there's really ever been a case where it was like, oh, no, the movie took what was in the book and then just really en enlightened and brightened and broadened everything. Maybe The Hobbit. But that was, <laughs> I don't know if they really, uh, they, they, it still wasn't in, you know, making it better with what they yeah. did with The Hobbit. They just added a bunch of filler to a kid's story. That's a different situation, yeah. I think. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah. We're not going to cover The Hobbit on Run for no, Your Lives. I don't it, think so. <laughs> it doesn't fit within our realm. So we're definitely not going to do that. No. But but yeah, so of course, yeah, like Daphne said, highly recommend. Check out the book because there is so much meat yes. <laughs> to the story. It's There's so much. And the characters are just so well written. And yeah. I think... Going into the movie, I think it, it did translate over really well. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, you have to cut some things. You have to change some things for time restraints to fit it into, you know, a feature film length. But I th the heart of the story was kept intact. And again, that goes to because he wrote, you know, M.R. Carey wrote the screenplay at the same time, knowing here's the tale, you know, here's the tale I want to tell in this book. But I want to make sure to tell the same story in movie form. And make it make sense. And get the same point across. And I think he did a really good job with that. Definitely. I have to agree. Well, I feel like yeah. we have to get started with Melanie. Absolutely. This is going to be one of those <laughs> things where we're going to go all of our like Melanie notes and then get through that and be like, and we've already sprinkled everything else in. And we're pretty much done. Like, yep. I feel like I that's feel how like, it's going to go. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I feel like that is how it's going to be. I'm totally fine with that. I'm down for it. Mm. So, yeah. So I feel like we have to get started. And we meet her. In a terribly sad existence. I mean, living in a concrete cell with her only possessions are really these two photos. Mm -hmm. One is of like a black and white kitten. And the other one looks like it's of the outdoors. Yeah. And she seems like a normal little girl. She's sitting there and counting. 
And then we realized just how different the initial impression is. Yeah, because everything it's it's it is it's like a prison cell. It is militaristic and locked down. She's being restrained and you know gets in this wheelchair, all these straps and all these things. I mean, it does. She looks like Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. in a high security prison, and this doesn't really bother her. You'd think like, oh, what a horrible situation, but it's all she knows. Yes, and she's the most pleasant and chipper little girl imaginable through all of it. She's even. When Kieran Gallagher is in there strapping her down, she's like, oh, you missed a spot, basically. I mean, she even knows making sure that he's doing his job correctly and saying, good morning, you know, know, good morning, Gallagher. Good morning, uh, this. Good morning, this. Good morning, Sergeant Parks. Good morning. I mean, she's just going to make friends with everyone, even if they hate her and she hates them. She's going to be as pleasant as she can. (laughs) That's what struck me at the beginning was just the cruelty of the soldiers toward the children. Not physically, but calling them names, feeding them, you know, feeding times like they're being fed like a dog and calling them things like abortions. I mm-hmm. mean, th- it was just, it was just sad and terrifying to what, and, and it doesn't seem to affect the kids really. Cause they don't yeah. know that it's, it's like they don't understand that it's derogatory. Yeah, it's just that's life. That's what yeah. it is. And it does seem, it, without knowing the backstory of this movie or what you're getting into, it does seem very strange and out of place. And why is this happening? Of course, you come to realize, I mean, the reason is, is for a, you know, they have to. These these soldiers and generals and people, the doctors and everybody working there, I mean, they have to separate their emotions and their thoughts and be like, these aren't kids. These aren't mm-hmm. people. These are hungries these are monsters mm-hmm. and they have to treat them as such for their own safety because if they get too attached and look at them as little children and want to form a bond with them as we see helen justin know is doing with melanie and it gets her in trouble mm-hmm. because they are test subjects basically they yeah. are being experimented on we see um called dr caldwell come in and is talking to Melanie about gives her a riddle even. And so they're having this, you know, discussion. And then she says, give me a number between one and 20. And she gives her number 13. The next day, Kenny, who is student number 13, no longer comes to class. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a new riddle for Melanie because she doesn't understand. She doesn't know where she is. Like, she doesn't know where Kenny went. Yeah. And she's puzzled by it. She looks at his door and it's closed. And she starts to put these pieces together to try to figure out what's going on. Like the riddles or the problems that Dr. Caldwell gives her. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, just to go off, you know, on a base level kind of thing. Uh, the casting. Uh, Sneha Nanua. Perfect. Just did incredible in this role as Melanie. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, you know, as a, somebody who's a big fan of the book and read the book and knows everything about the character from the book, she's not what you expect. No. And I think it's on purpose, uh, you know, her and also the character of Kieran Gallagher mm-hmm. uh, with Faseo Akinade playing him. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> not to get too, it's not political at all. It's, you, you, you think it's political. You got a problem. Um, I'm just yeah. going to be blunt because that's the thing. I mean, there were people 
who were fans of the book or who knew the story who were upset about them casting black people in the roles of characters described as a white blonde girl and a redheaded Irishman in the books. Yes. And it's fiction. Mm -hmm. It's a story. It's interchangeable. I was like, if these adaptations make you upset, there's a bigger issue at hand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just going to say it. So, because I think they did an incredible job. This girl, uh, Sunia did an incredible job as Melanie. She gave so much life to this character on screen and was just adorable when she needed to be adorable, fierce when she needed to be fierce, emotional when she needed to be. All of the points I think she managed to to nail directly. I'd have to agree. Yeah, it was interesting for me just coming off reading the book and then watching the movie. It's like, hmm, I knew that they had swapped things around a little bit. So I knew that Sunia was not the Melanie that we meet in the book. But I was okay with it. Right. But on the flip side of that, too, Gemma Archerton, who played Helen Justino, didn't match. No, because then it's kind of the opposite, because Justino is very much described as an olive-skinned, you know, kind of a darker person in the book. And so it really was just kind of a different adaptation. It is a, it's the same story, but it's, you know, I I think the, the adaptations of the characters and the casting there... I was like, yeah, we can create a whole different visual world and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. The one character I do think hit the nail on the head was Patty Considine as Eddie Parks, Sergeant Eddie Parks. I thought See, he I, I read it, it with Stephen Lang in mind the whole you time. You did? Um, <laughs> uh, I'm down with Patty Considine. I think he did yeah. such a great job. Yeah. Patty Considine is great. Of course, you know, I'm very familiar with him being the Edgar Wright fanboy that I am because he is very much, you know, <laughs> Edgar Wright. He, he is, he's a staple in the Edgar Wright Cornetto trilogy, he is. having roles in both hot fuzz and the world's end. So <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. He was in um, the outsider. He had a great role um, as Claude Bolton in the outsider and he's going to be, and is filming. He's going to be, King Viserys one Targaryen or Viserys I Targaryen in House of the Dragon, which is coming up. Nice, yes. It's like, yes, yes. <laughs> He's had some great roles and I am always surprised. Um he nails them. Even though they're yeah. all very different. He he's He's really talented and I yeah. appreciate what he gives to the any role that he's in. Yeah, because this Sergeant Parks came with a lot of grit mm-hmm. and a lot of strength, but then a lot of, you know, emotion. While on the other hand, you know, as the, where I know him the best from these Edgar Wright roles. I mean, he's a comedic, <laughs> he's comedic gold. Yes, so, you he know, is. like, <laughs> yes, he is to be able to do these things. Yeah, it's great. And then honestly, I think the casting choice I was most excited for when I saw the casting for the movie after I'd read the book, when those were being announced. Glenn Close as Caldwell. Oh, she was great. That's the one that I was like, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Like, I I was like, I see it immediately the second I heard the name. I was like, nope, that makes sense. Yes, please do that. (laughs) You know, I feel like she brought a little, not humility, because she stuck to Caldwell's mission. Yeah. But I really didn't like her in the book. Right. And... Glenn Close made me relate to her just a little bit more. So yeah, I didn't she was, dislike her as much. Yeah, she was really able to get it across that like, 
she's not the villain of the story. No. She fully believes in what she's doing and mm-hmm. has been able to justify it for herself no matter she she's set emotions and connections aside because this is her mission. Mm-hmm. And she does a much better job of conveying that. Like in, in the yes. movie, Glenn Close is able to convey that very well. Yeah. I agree. I thought she did such a great job. I learned something and I have to say this now, even though I have it in my little trivia facts for later. <laughs> I have to say. I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say since we're talking clean clothes, right? Her sister-in-law, <laughs> Deb, yeah. is a massive fan of zombie movies. So she got to come on set and be one of the hungries. It was in the scene where the group has to work their way through the crowd of them. She's wearing a blue knit sweater with green facial fungus and blood around the mouth and neck. I'm like, that does not narrow it down when you look at <laughs> yeah. all the people. <laughs> but it's yeah, one, the- yeah, it's one that Glenn actually stares at when her character walks past. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember even watching this, just knowing that I was like. I was like, I know that her sister-in-law is one of these. And then it got to that point. I was like, oh, yeah, that's her. Because yeah. there's that connection. I was like, that was right. Because yeah. I, I own this. I own the Blu-ray. And so, of course you do. On many of the times. Uh, on, on one of my many watches <laughs> of this movie, I took time to even go through special features and stuff. And there's a whole behind-the-scenes featurette of of Glenn and Deb mm-hmm. talking about this whole thing. And like showing some footage of them filming it. And like interviews with them talking about how cool it was of an experience to get into this and do so i've seen all the like interviews behind the scenes on that whole thing and it's it's a blast to watch for sure we did get to see a little bit of sass from melanie that's literally my note is uh (laughs) melanie's got some sass she does sergeant parks she (laughs) does she's really angry at him because he interrupted this moment between um helen justino and melanie in the classroom where Melanie had just given this beautiful story, Justin O had just said, I'm going to untie your arms. You can write a story. You can read it, you know, to the class. And so Melanie had told this wonderful story and it made Helen cry. Yeah. Well, it was, it was basically her story was her love for Miss Justin O through the lens of a mythological tale. Mm-hmm. You know, these characters are clearly representing them. She's not trying to hide it. And it is. It's where the girl saves the beautiful, kind woman from a monster and they live together happily ever after. You know, that's Mm -hmm. her her fantasy dream here of this one person who she has found has has been kind to her and has been nice to her and has always been somebody she can metaphorically lean on. Uh, You know, she's never. And so to actually get a physical touch from this person that she admires so much is just. Yeah, it meant so much to her. But of course, Sergeant Eddie Parks catches her, (laughs) interrupts that beautiful moment. And when he, in the process of wheeling Melanie back to her bunk, he looks at her and is very stern. What are you looking at? And she laid it out there. If I had a box full of all the evils in the world, I'd stick you inside and close the lid. She likes me best. She touched me. She wouldn't ever touch you. And the sass in that was just mm-hmm. amazing. But of course, he responds by leaving her there. Yeah. In the restraints. Usually they let them out of the restraints. But she was left to sit there. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, luckily, Justin o finds her in that state. So just, you know, so Helen goes in to free her. 
accidentally sets her off in this kind of feeding frenzy with the scent, which is just heartbreaking for both of them. Like you can see the emotion on both of them. Uh, Melanie being so taken aback and frustrated and, and sad with herself being like, I can't help it. And I'm so sorry that I did that to you with Helen on the other end being like, I'm so sorry I made you do that. You know, this, it is yeah. both of them feeling a lot of guilt and shame and, and sadness about this small situation, but be, being there for each other, which, you know, to, to talk about that a, a little bit. Yeah. The, the feeding frenzy thing. Uh, Cause you know, we see that a little before that with, when Parks comes in to reprimand Helen for, for touching Melanie. And that's kind of his, you know, uh, showing her like, oh, no, see, here's what happens when you, you know, it's like you're treating her like a child. You're treating mm-hmm. her like a person. And he wipes that like e-blocker, scent blocker off of himself and sticks his arm in front of one of the boys in the classroom. Just to see that, you know, instinctive reaction that they have as a hungry and it sets off a whole chain reaction as his like scent wafts through that like side of the classroom. And he's like, he felt like this is a time I need to remind you, this is what we're dealing with. Yeah. They're not children. And you see that. And in, in watching it, I still felt so sad. Yeah. Because I get where Helen is coming from. She's the one that teaches these kids. She's the one who spends all this time with them. So she's bonding with some of them. And I mean, she's, She's concerned, especially when Melanie doesn't show up to class the next day. Yeah, because again, Caldwell, same, pick a number. She doesn't even have a chance. She was picking up and she was like four. Yeah. And it's not really spoken about in the movie so much. And I don't remember if it was more in the book. I don't think so. But it's kind of, it's it's showing this logical and t- intelligent brain that it's not a fungus driven brain mm-hmm. that there is a real logic and reasoning and problem solving that is going on in actual child's brain. Yes. Where I think Melanie was putting pieces together. And when she said 13 and Kenny was gone, I think she picked four, knowing that's her door number to see what would happen. Yep. She wanted to know. I mean, it goes back to the problem that Caldwell gave her about, a cat being in a box and is it alive or dead? Mm-hmm. You know, here you and are. That's the question Caldwell's trying to figure out about Melanie and the other kids here. They are the Schrodinger's children mm-hmm. of, of this place. You know, are they alive or are they just dead? And, and is the fungus just evolved in a different way to make them, she says, you know, uh, mimicry, exquisite mimicry of, you know, behaviors that they've, they've seen. Is that all it is? Or are they really alive? Yeah. So poor Melanie is taken there and drugged and put on a table. And she just wants to go back to the classroom. It's like yeah. she got the answer to her question. She was asking Parks the whole way walking over there. You know, where are we going? Why are we going here? What's going on? She just kept asking him. And this is when we also start to learn that there's some security issues here at the facility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's into Caldwell's uh, lab, <laughs> so <laughs> to speak. Um, and yeah, you, you notice that uh, Melanie takes note of the, the brain in the jar labeled 13. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, a lot of little things are easily going to add up to kind of freak her out. And that's where she's, I, I want to go back. This is not where I want to be. 
things are off, things don't feel right. She's surprisingly calm, though. I mean, even though she has been kind of sedated. Yeah. We learned that that wasn't enough to really sedate her. She seems very calm about it. Like, she's not freaking out on the table screaming. Right. It's like, you can see that she's bothered, but yeah, she has, she keeps her cool. Really, you never see her overly emotional or reactionary Mm -hmm. ever. I mean, we have the scene with her and the other hungry children out in the wild where, yeah, she's a lot more vocal and a lot more aggressive, aggressive, but, but it's on purpose. It's, it's a, it's a performance. Yeah. That's all she's doing there. You know, it's, it's, you know. It's because she's thinking. (laughs) She knows what she needs to do. She's a critical thinker and she deals a lot in logic and how to solve problems. And so she looks at situations and figures them out. Yeah. And I think the most agitated she gets in this lab, this scenario here, is when Helen Justineau comes in to stop what's happening because she knows that Dr. Caldwell is about to try to perform this biopsy on Melanie, which will kill her. Yes. And Helen is like, I'm, I'm done with this. I did not sign up to get attached to some child for you to kill them in a lab the next day, which, you know, Caldwell is kind of right in saying, you know, in there through their lens of being like, that's exactly what you signed up for. It's your fault. You got attached. Yeah. (laughs) This is why we call them names and distance ourselves from them because we can't get attached because they are for research. It's for us to figure out how to solve this problem. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's that connection with Justin. So when Justin is then detained and restrained and held and taken out, that's when Melanie gets the most agitated in here is it's not for her own safety, but it's for Helen's. Yeah. She is so devoted to Helen. She Mm -hmm. has this bond with her. She cares about her. It's devotion. Like she's devoted to her. Whatever. She will do whatever to try to keep her safe, including biting out the necks of officers who were mistreating her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they, she went all Rick Grimes on them. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she did. I mean, you know, after escaping, cause yeah, the, the hungries bust through, uh, Dr. Selkirk gets bit and turns fast. fast. That we, that's where we get our first turn. They're like, yeah, there's no waiting around. It's not The Walking Dead. Like, it's, no. You're going to know pretty quickly. This is trained to Busan fast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Melanie's able to free herself after that because, I mean, the <laughs> hungry Selkirk, not going to bother her. She's no. one of them. And she's busy licking some blood off the floor. Uh, oh, man. But- <laughs> Melanie seems scared in that scene a little bit just because she wasn't quite sure what was really going on. But she immediately looks for something to cut herself free. Mm -hmm. And then she goes outside and she sees all of these things happening. The massive horde of hungries attacking everybody. And she's just looking around like, you know, she. This is a girl who hasn't been outside to play. Right. Quite a scene for the first look at the outside world, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but she focuses right in on Melanie, or not on Melanie, on Helen, like we were saying, on Justino, and seeing she's in danger. These other people are like abusive towards her. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of tunnel vision in 
to help her. And yeah, she does end up killing, but you know, biting, killing and turning these two other soldiers. But I mean, she doesn't even think about that, which then was it really interesting and they don't ever explain it in the movie. And again, it's been a while for the book. So I don't remember if they did or if this was something that was a little different, but instead of like the normal hungries that are just like, you know, you're kind of ravenous, rabid zombies. When she feeds, it's almost like it sucks all of the energy out of her and she like has to take a nap or she gets real drowsy and has a moment where she's just zoned, you know? Uh (laughs) I noticed that and I don't remember that would have been early on in the book. Mm -hmm. I don't remember off the top of my head. And if it, if it had addressed that, that's not one of the things I wrote down, but there are a lot of things I wrote down. There were also these um, junkers yeah, that they the referred were to. Yeah, they the were. Movie. Yeah, they were not in the movie, but they were in the book. But yeah, so that's how you know she can save Helen, but then ends up passing out for a little bit, which Helen then comes to and picks her up and, and jumps in the van driven by Dylan and Parks. And takes off, which is funny that they don't even notice that she's carrying Melanie as they stop and load her in. Uh, Yeah, so of course Parks was not happy once he realized she was there. No, no. But Caldwell's also with them, and Caldwell is still on that mission, like we were talking about. Yeah, she belongs to my research. Yeah, we, we have to keep her here. And so they're like, well, what do we do? Which I love that, you know, Justin knows, like, hmm. Still not happy. Still pretty pissed with with Caldwell, uh, especially after she suggests that they throw Melanie in the wheel well, and she's like, uh, "No, no, you're not going to do that." Happening. She punches her. Oh my yeah. god! Oh, <laughs> at that point, I became her biggest fan. It was so awesome when she punched her out. <laughs> oh my gosh, I loved it. She doesn't yeah, get uh, enough people standing up to her, so. I really, really appreciated that. Right. Yeah, so their they're, they're backup plan for that then. Uh, Melanie goes on top. You're riding on top of the, yeah. the truck. Uh- <laughs> so she's getting the scenic view mm-hmm. of the world that she's never really seen. Right. Uh, Which I love I, I, the scenery. Like, I love yeah. the way that they showed us everything. I feel like cinematography, it was just breathtaking. Yeah, to it was really see. cool. You're like experiencing as she's experiencing. Yeah. Through her eyes. Yeah. It was, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And and they, they make their stop kind of fill up on some water, but I love that Melanie, even in all of this tense situation, she's just a normal, like highly curious child where, you know, she, the simplest things like she's got to question parks about his use of soft rounds. Well, why are they called soft rounds? Oh, well, why do they do that? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? And, you know, we have Dylan just being like, do you want me to muzzle it? You know, (laughs) not even calling it her. Just like, do we need to shut it up? And Parks instead humors her and answers all of her questions. And then I love at the end, thank you, Sergeant Parks. (laughs) And then just so pleasant with that. And then at that moment, you're like, I think she's going to start growing on him a little bit. Parks, the one that hated her the most, distanced himself the most is going to end up be, you know, warming up to her throughout this movie. He has the biggest arc in this movie. Oh, St- yeah. From where he started and his the way he thought about things to where he ends up when it comes to Melanie. 
it it's transformative. Like it's yeah. really incredible to see. And having read the book just prior to watching, I got the opportunity to to read it and then also see it all come to life too. Yeah. And that's something they did keep from the book. And I appreciated that so much because Yes. But I like the way that they do it with Parks here, where it's not just like, and now she's my little girl and I love her forever. Yeah, no. like he's still it's still very professional, cautious mm-hmm. respect. Yes. He learns to respect her and he trusts her, sending her out to, you know, clear the the area outside the hospital for them or to go search a route, you know, reconnaissance a, a route for them first with a walkie-talkie and and to have these like this trust and this respect for her. But also, I mean, when she's back in the van, you know, at that moment, Justin was like, you know, she's got a muzzle on her face and her hands are tied behind her back and you're still afraid of her? Where he goes, yeah, and you should be too. Yeah. And then even later when she saves them from the hungry children and then Melanie yells out at them, he's like, pretend you're scared of me. And he just looks at Justin and is like, pretend. Uh, he's, st- <laughs> <laughs> he's still like, um, yeah. she's still a yeah. danger when yeah. she needs to be, you know? <laughs> she's still dangerous. She's not someone to be trusted because... If she's hungry, she has to control it. And, and I mean, we kind of saw her attempt to control it at the beginning when Helen was in the room trying to get her restraints off. Because Helen was everything to her. She didn't want to hurt her. Yeah. I will say yeah, which... that the hungries themselves, especially once they get to London and they're walking through ones that look like they're standing up asleep i started to get like the last of us vibes oh very much so because it's it's similar yeah the last of us for those who've played those games and soon to be a tv series it is um i'm so excited i mean they're they're very similar fungus based zombie you know the more they develop they're taken over more by the fungus so they're slower but more dangerous as spore spreaders in Mm -hmm. a different way but you know um But yeah, because that's that's something. Yeah, just to kind of break from that a little bit, the hungries, the kind of zombies in in this movie and the book are it's fungus based cordyceps, which is one of the reasons that this book resonated with me so strongly when I first read it, because you know Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, very real, uh, something I was intrigued by, and uh, you know was looking doing a lot of research on even before I read the book. It's just something that I just definitely was like, oh, this is crazy. Because it is a very, very real thing in nature. It's a parasitic fungus that takes over the host and their brain functions and makes them do unnatural things in order to best spread the spores of the fungus. Mm -hmm. Luckily, it is uh, not (laughs) infective in in humans at all. Yet. Um, Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) Right. No, in in nature, this takes place in ants and other insects, beetles and, and things like that. Uh, they don't bite each other to spread like zombies. You know, it's the zombie ant disease is what it's kind of colloquially known as. Yeah. Uh, but it's not really zombies. Again, they don't infect each other through violent tendencies, but they do play off of what it really does, even in this story a little bit. Because in, in real life, uh, Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, or unilateralis, uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> It uh, forces the ants and bugs to crawl up to really high places 
mm-hmm. to where then it attaches them to whatever limbs and leaves and things up there in the tops of trees. And then it overtakes them, kills them, sprouts these uh, stalks uh, with kind of a seed pod with spores. And when they burst open, because it's a much higher area, the, sp- the spores are able to spread to a wider area and infect other insects and do the same thing. So it is in its way to to spread among a uh, civilization or population of, of insects. And so I feel like if zombies were actually possible and would happen, this kind of form is the most likely scenario to me. I'm like, because it is a fungus and a thing that does yeah. exist in real life and in nature. And it's somewhat plausible or feasible to be like, is there a form of this that would be able to be contracted in humans? You know, <laughs> you never know, pig, you know, I mean, we're living in a time where people are talking about monkey pox. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. After two years of a pandemic, I'm just expecting anything can happen, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying, you know, the ones that are just standing like they're sleep Cause it's, these hungries, when they're not in an alerted state, they're like, it's like the fungus or this cordyceps is conserving the body energy that, because I, you know, when it takes over, there's still only so much energy a body has yes. and they feed to build up more energy, but there's only so much you can do as populations dwindle in humans and they're all barricading themselves away in laboratories and things that you've got to conserve that energy. So if they're not in an alert state and feeding and hunting, they're just kind of standing dormant in one place they're alerted by smell that's just why the people have the e-blocker but also as they mentioned you know loud enough sounds quick enough movements will alert them as well so that's why we have that whole scene of them having to just kind of sneak through a whole group of them to to get supplies slowly and silently mm-hmm. which is kind of again similar to last of us does some of those things too those scenes where Man, the clickers. <laughs> I know. That's what I thought of as soon as I saw them. I'm like, these are clickers. Yeah. They are clickers. <laughs> that is the visualization outside of a video game. It has to be. <laughs> it did make me jump and also laugh when Caldwell kind of goes on her own. She sees a woman pushing a carriage and the body is mm. kind of moving in the carriage. Well, what she doesn't know is it's a rat. Mm-hmm. The baby's long since been dead. But it made me jump and I also laugh because I'm like, she's so set on this mission. She's trying to find specimens to study. She would have taken that baby right out of there. Not thinking about what it might have done. If it was a baby, she would have taken the baby. Even yeah. though it would have put all of those hungries on her. She doesn't care. She just trusts that everyone's going to keep her safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. she does, by doing that, alert some of them. And they are able to somehow, you know, alert as few as they can and get themselves to higher ground, get themselves into the hospital where they hold up there. Got to do a little reconnaissance for safety or as Parks calls it, recce. I think that's a fun recce Britishism. Uh, so amazing. I feel like that's what we should refer to all of our preparations for <laughs> podcasting now as reckies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as they're kind of exploring that, Melanie's left with Caldwell, which Justin O's not very fond of initially. But Melanie's like, no, I'm good. I'm okay. Uh, and she does use that as an opportunity to get information on herself from Caldwell because she knows 
I mean, Caldwell's not going to sugarcoat or withhold scientific no, information. No, she's not. For, for Melanie's peace of mind. She doesn't care no, about that. She doesn't. You know, <laughs> she's not holding or protecting her from anything. So she's like, nope, this is my time where I'm alone with Dr. Caldwell and she's not going to try to kill me right now. So let me get answers. And so that's where the movie gives us the background on, on Melanie and the other kids like her in that classroom setting and what they are is children born from a mother who was infected during pregnancy. Yep. A second generation hungry. So then the embryo is also infected, but perhaps with half immunity, like Caldwell says to the pathogens. So this kind of creates a hungry who is also fully human, able to think reason Mm -hmm. and learn, but still driven by instincts and urges as well. It's interesting. Their little conversation about it, because Melanie says babies can't eat people. And Caldwell responds with, these ones did. The mothers were probably all infected at once in a single incident. Then the embryos they were carrying took the infection as well through the placenta and they ate their way out. And that's when you realize just, I mean, what second generation Uh hungry means. They ate all the organs like they, they ate their way out. It just sounds. Yeah. Quite terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. And it's funny. We learned that and you're like, oh my God, she is a terrifying monster. And then to cut from that to this overnight scene of you hear her voice while everybody's sleeping and she's sitting next to Kieran reading him Uh, a bedtime story and calling him by his first name and this bond. And you're like, Oh, but she's actually pretty sweet. So it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Because she's winning everyone over Mm -hmm. because Gallagher, Kieran Gallagher was following the lead of parks. Stay away. Don't touch. Don't do this. Don't do that. And this is the situation. They're all starting to realize that putting her in a box and saying that she's one thing when she's also something else wasn't Mm -hmm. going to get anyone anywhere. And then they realize that she could be an asset in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. I mean, uh, (laughs) Caldwell even tells her, you're not like anything that's ever existed before. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, I, I really do like that scene and those things. Cause it, it gives you like some good background. Of it does. Going on. It's a good exposition kind of moment. Uh, yeah. Cause the book goes in, I mean, the book is so detailed that uh, there's a lot of science in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just cool. But yeah, in a movie again, you, Narrow it down to one conversation scene and do it really well. And I think they did. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, the next morning, there's too many hungries that have gathered outside due to whatever commotion. And Melanie volunteers to help since she's safe from them. They're not going to hurt her. And they're like, Caldwell's like, you let her out of here and she's just going to run off and never come back. Yeah. Because she knows what what our mission is, but not with Helen Justin, though, there. Um, No. That bond is too strong. And so she says, no, I, I will be back. And she goes out. She finds and eats okay. a cat. Uh, <laughs> Didn't enjoy that pot. Yeah. But she was hungry yeah. also, so she had to go. 
Right. Like she, they hadn't been able to find food for her. So she had to get out. Right. To go feed. Yeah. And so she does feed and then she's just mesmerized exploring this outside world and what's left behind of human civilization. She's looking through houses and finding furniture and, and doors and toys and all these things that she's just not used to. And yeah. Really exploring. And then she does find a dog. And as far as we know, the dog was okay, at least yes. for a little bit. Um, we saw how easy she was able to catch that cat. So I don't know if that dog's getting away from all of those hungries, but. That we'll dog help. was uh, so cute. And all I could think <laughs> is, run, little dog, run. All right. As fast as you can to get away. Yeah, because that's another thing is she doesn't seem as driven to spread and feed uh-uh. like these other hungries do. It's more of it a survival linked with, with feeding to where she's hungry. She has to feed and she gets frenzied. But then once she's fed, she is calmed. I wonder if that's because of the environment she was growing up in, where everything was just so regimented. She never really got to that state because she was always fed on time, every time. Yeah. So I wonder about that. Yeah, because even then, she's able to hold this dog and carry it without this urge and need to tear into it. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's fed. She's good. She can carry the dog back to the hospital and use it to, to lead all the hungries away. She can spend time with the other people. Once she gets hungry, she's like, I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> Get away from like me. Like any but hangry when- person. Right. But when she's fed, she's like, oh, we're cool. We're buddies. We can hang out past the coffee. You know, yeah. uh, she's fine. So it is interesting there. But, um, you know, she comes back and tells me, you know, it fell off with the mask that they put on her. Uh, I was like, sure. They all say that. Um, <laughs> and she's covered in blood on her new clothes. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> but Parks makes sure. No, we're, we're still handcuffing and putting nothing. Yeah. Right on. Um, but he tells her good job. When she goes out on the missions and she comes back, he's, good job. He's very pleased with her. Yeah, you yeah. see, he's, it's, it's, he, he's she's growing on him. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's entrusting her with scouting ahead, like I said, to that, when they get to that next big city area. Even gives her Karen, uh, Kieran's radio thing. Teaches her how to use it. Uh, <laughs> it's too bad Kieran wouldn't keep the radio on him when he needed to. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of cost him in a real big way. Yeah, just just a little. Yeah, so she finds this route, and she's having so much fun with this walkie-talkie. Uh, <laughs> but then is able to lead them down this other route, which, looking at the uh, the poster, or like the, the billboard, the ad there, and, of this like pet adoption agency. Yeah. And Justin walking up and sees how she's staring at it. He goes, do you want a cat? And she goes, I already had one. Yeah. Like, this is such a dark joke, oh, but I man. love it so much. <laughs> It's like, uh, that is dark humor at its best. Uh, I appreciated that a lot. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Well, Kieran has yeah. gone out on his own adventure. And she sees these children. When she's on her little adventure. Mm-hmm. So she sees these children who don't speak. But all seem to be in decent health. They just, they have no language skills because they've been living out on their own. Yeah. They're getting the call from Beacon, which Beacon is being overrun. So that doesn't sound like they're going to be coming in to save the day. But at the same time, Melanie comes back and is reporting that there are these kids. They have Kieran's scent. We have to go save him. 
And she starts sniffing like a bloodhound. Yeah. To get them to Kieran, but it's too late. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we saw what happened to Kieran. Said he goes out on a supply run of his own and he's lured inside of a shop. He's baited and uh-huh. led there strategically. These kids, they are very intelligent, very smart, uh, just like Melanie. They may not have the logic and, or to some degree, you know, like academic skills or the language skills or communication with other people. But I mean, they work like a pack of Neanderthals. I mean, it's yes. this, you know. They use grunts to get the point across. And this one kid goes in, in the middle of the circle and just starts sniffing, inhaling, trying to get them all to do it. So they realize that there's a scent and they need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they led him there because there's like these little like there's like cans of food that are almost like this perfect breadcrumb trail leading to that shop door. Like they knew how to bait him in and bring him there. And then as he's inside in a corner, one kid kind of corners him and then lures him in. He's got this rat in his hand. Like here, you want food? I, Kieran didn't want the food. Uh, <laughs> that's not the food he wanted. But not realizing that this was a kid like Melanie, he just thought it was some kid lost trying to survive out in the world. And he's like, buddy, you don't need to be out here right now. Let me help you. And he lures him into the other kids. Um, and it doesn't go so well. RIP Kieran. Um, <laughs> they didn't leave much of him. No. And and then when the others show up, it's too late, but Melanie realizes it is still, it is part two of the trap. They are not out of the woods. And so like that they go out and that's when she confronts the other kids uh, fights with the leader of the pack. She nicks the handcuffs off of parks, which is really smart. So she can use that to bind him down and then beats him to death with his own bat. It's pretty brutal. That's where you have that moment where she says, pretend to be scared of me. And parks goes pretend. Yeah. You're terrifying. Um, (laughs) I feel like in the scene when they went and they found Kieran's body, that's when I felt, like Melanie was starting to change a little bit about how she was looking at things instead of it being, well, these are the adults and I'm the child and this is the life I've been used to. She started to look at, well, these kids are like me and there's more out there like me. And maybe, maybe these people i'm with are the minority yeah because eddie sees kieran and just makes this comment dirty little fuckers and melanie says they just want to live everyone wants that and i just started thinking she's getting with the pro with the program she's starting to understand um that the people she's with are not in the majority right and why is it okay for them to dictate her life and whether she lives or dies. Right. And she has quite a big moment with that. Of course. I mean, as you see, she kind of establishes dominance with these other kids and then has them thinking, you know, no, these, you know, these two people are for, for me. I'm keeping them to for myself and takes them back. But I think when she felt, even though it was very tribal, very tribal connection, (laughs) there was this connection of like, these are people like me to some degree. And then getting back to Rosie, which I don't think it's ever called that in the movie, but no, it is in the book though. Yeah. uh, Just a random tangent for a second. Yeah. When I saw it immediately, because they, this big armored uh, mobile lab 
It's the Rosalind Franklin, um, which is, you know, have it referred to lovingly as Rosie in mm-hmm. the books. Uh, so <laughs> in the books, in the books, plural. Yes. Um, so that was, I just, I saw it. I saw Rosalind Franklin on the side. I went, Rosie! Like, that's something that sticks with me. Uh, because without giving too much of anything away, uh, Rosie is very important. Uh, I mean, Rosie plays a bigger part in The Girl with All the Gifts novel as well. But also, uh, we see that Rosie has been abandoned here. Who was the team that was in there before? What did they do? Is the answer out there? Where are they? Like, yeah. Maybe I know what happened to the people that were in Rosie beforehand. Maybe there's a prequel book that goes all into that. Maybe you don't spoil uh, that for someone <laughs> who might want to read that book. Uh, no. Oh, I, like I said, I won't go too much into it, but um, there's a prequel book. Yeah. And you might get more Rosie. Just <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> Good. These people they're looking at pictures of in there? Yeah. Maybe we get a little background. Um, I, who knows? <laughs> I have such a curious mind, too. So when I'm seeing everything it, in any of the post-apocalyptic movies where they don't show you what happened before, I'm always interested in what happened before. Like, I right. want to see it unfold. So I can figure out, oh, where did they go wrong? Or just to know, like, I'm just really naturally curious about stuff like that. Yeah. So now I will, you know, we could wait, talk about it later, but, you know, I'll make the plug now. So people know if you want to know more. Yes. Same author. Same thing. There is a prequel book that came out after The Boy on the Bridge. I also really, really, really loved it. And it is, it is a prequel story that leads up to kind of some of the stuff here. And it gives a lot more uh, scientific background on a lot of things too. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Uh- <laughs> I know. I I feel like I'm going to have to get, use one of my Audible credits if it's on Audible. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I believe it is. Um, They get back to Rosie. That's why I said, because I called it Rosie. Yes. All of my notes, because that's what it is to me. <laughs> uh, not just the mobile lab, the big vehicle i was like it's rosy it's rosy love rosy um <laughs> yeah because they get back and caldwell has sucked all of the oxygen out of rosy in order to when they seal themselves in they pass out uh so she's like i'm doing this mission i'm doing this biopsy right now i'm i'm she's dying from sepsis from the cut that she got back in the lab when the hungries first broke in to the base and she's like it is now or never fuck what everybody else says i'm doing it just unbeknownst to her. Uh, <laughs> Melanie doesn't need oxygen like the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> no, no, she does not. Right. Which I like, you know, she's trying to explain to Melanie even before this, before they go out. But yeah, so she's trying to explain to Helen before Melanie comes back to, to tell them they need to save Kieran about, it's like, we need to do this. This vaccine is my mission and I don't have long and I have to get this done. I'm the only person who can do it. And when she's explaining things to Helen again, she says she wouldn't feel a thing. And I love the comeback from Justin O, where she says, well, that's more your thing than hers. Like, ooh, ouch. Um. <laughs> Loved it. Loved it. Man. Yeah. But like I said, you know, Melanie doesn't really need the oxygen. We see, you know, we talked about she's sitting there in her cell counting and counting. We didn't realize how high she was counting. She says she would sit in her cell and count to a thousand while holding her breath mm-hmm. um, because the, the fungus 
takes care of a lot of oxygen for her. It does. And Caldwell then realizes that there, so Melanie was able to get the jump on, on Caldwell, catch her off her game a little bit here. Uh, to basically just tell her, like, uh, you know, why, why do you want to do this? And they have this really, you know, I think Caldwell does a great job at trying to convince Melanie to sacrifice herself for this vaccine. I mean, she's invoking the survival and life of Helen and she's really laying it on. I mean, she's giving the best, you know, (laughs) pitch that she possibly could for this thing, but she messes up one by revealing how the spore seed pods are going to be opened. Uh, Yeah, that was not smart on her part. (laughs) But two, she has this moment where Melanie asks, you know, you know, exquisite mimicry of, uh, you know, observed behaviors. Do you still believe that? Or do you think we're actually alive now after everything you've seen? And when she says, no, you're alive. That's the answer that Melanie needs to realize then. Then why should it be us who die for you? Yep. Which, damn. Damn. <laughs> because as much as we got this arc with Eddie Parks the whole way through, Melanie's been on this journey of discovering who she is like what all of this means because her life has been in a cell she's been Mm -hmm. wheeled around she's never been really outdoors and done all the things she's experiencing all of this and realizing that maybe i don't have to be the one who gives it all up right maybe it's my species that is the next, you know, in evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After that with Caldwell, she grabs a pack of matches and takes off outside, tells Caldwell, stay here. You'll be safe if you stay here, which Caldwell does not listen. No. Um, follows Melanie out, gets herself surrounded by the hungry children and uh, RIP Dr. Caldwell as well. Um, uh, she became a buffet. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, and Melanie goes to that giant spore tree tower that they ran across. The BT tower. Uh-huh. And she does. She lights it on fire, activates the pods, releases all the spores everywhere. And then, sadly for her, because she had grown a little connected with, with Sergeant Parks, too. And to see that he had come out following, he had woken up and was following her and looking for her. And by the time she runs into him, I mean, he's already been infected by the spores and he's slowly dying and being taken over and he asks what she did and just there back and forth again such a powerful oh, moment for her so in that arc good. and the decision she makes where she said i made the pods open and he goes oh jesus christ mm-hmm. and you can see he's just so overwhelmed she goes it's gonna be all right he says no it's over it's all over and her response is it's not over it's just not yours anymore which Again, yeah. <laughs> and he, Why should it be us who has to die for you? It's not yours anymore. I feel like that should time. be the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> why should it be us that has to die? You know, why should it be us who die for you? But he, she does have this little conversation where we get to see a little bit more of Parks where he's talked about, well, you know, last time he saw his wife, she was seven months pregnant and so he gives a little bit of, we get to see just a glimpse into him a little bit um yeah. but he asks her to to do something for him that's difficult for him to ask her to do and 
I think, difficult for her to do, which is he doesn't want to turn into a hungry. Yeah. So he asks her to please to shoot him before he turns. Mm -hmm. And then I love at the very end, after she does it, she says, transit. Yeah. It's like, okay. (laughs) Full circle. Full circle. Uh, She has that moment where she just like cocks the gun ready. And he's like, you know, how do you know how to do that? And she has that classic, like, 80s, 90s PSA. I learned it from watching, watching you. you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it it shows you how intelligent yeah. she is. She's been watching and learning this yeah. her whole life. What else is she going to do? So she watches. Yeah. She's watched the soldiers. She's been in a routine. And routines get boring. So she learned exactly what she needed to do. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really kind of her story. It her is. I mean, we get we get the little bit more at the end, which is more, you know, focused on Justin now. So I might hold off on that until we get. Yeah. Because I've got a little bit of notes on her. We've I've covered most everything again, like I said, we would, but I might hold off. <laughs> yeah. Justin now. I feel like she's the next one, though. So we kind of have yeah, to go absolutely. there. Yeah. Um. Just again, because being such a big fan of the book. The first time I hear, you know, good morning, Miss Justino, my heart just swelled. I, I get the smile because reading the book, it's just every time. I mean, you can almost hear the kids, this you voice can. of Melanie and yep. these kids in your head as you're reading it of just good morning, Miss Justino. And every time Melanie's Miss Justino, Miss Justino, Miss Justino, like it's just repeated so much and this because she's so attached to her that it's just it's almost like she loves the sound of that name in her own mouth, in her own yeah. voice, you know, and so. I get used to reading that name so much and almost hearing it in my head as I'm reading it and this like voice. And so then to see the movie and be like, ah, oh, it's just it's so nice to hear it. You're like, here we go. You know? <laughs> well, she to me was the one who cared the most about the kids because even after they've escaped, she's concerned about them. She's like, what, what, where are, you know, are they in the book? It goes into more detail here, mm-hmm. here. It's really an, uh, it's just a little blip conversation in the book. There are multiple times that she questions, you know, someone needs to go back and let them out. Like, this is not a, it's not okay. Like she's concerned about her students. Yeah. And, And for them, for Caldwell and Parks to think that she would not form an attachment when she's the one who is acting with kindness at every interaction with the kids that it was stupid on their part to think that she was going to get through this and not form an attachment. Right. I mean, just dumb. Yeah. Which I'm trying to remember. You might have a little more on this because there's a little scene with Caldwell and, and Justin O speaking where about that attachment. And she says, you know, well, she loves me. It's like, yeah, she loves you. And it's like, but she doesn't know the person that I am. And then they leave it at that. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, the book definitely digs in a lot more on Helen Justino's past. And uh, yes, she is it's a little rocky for sure. <laughs> she has made mistakes and they don't they don't go into it in the movie any further than that. But I remember seeing that that scene in this conversation in the movie and thinking, no, I remember reading a lot more about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She goes into this conversation I don't think it was with Caldwell. I think it was with Parks where she talks about 
killing a child by accident. Mm -hmm. And she didn't turn herself in, and then everything went to hell in a handbasket. So she realized she was getting away with it, but she's not yeah. getting away with it because still bothers her. It still lives in her head. It's taking up space in her head. Yeah, and that's right. It was with Parks because that's the question she asked was, you know, have you ever killed a kid? And he says, you know, we all do what we have to do. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it was Parks, not Caldwell. But yeah, that. but that little where she said, you know, I'm, I'm not a good person. And they leave it there. And yeah. so remembering like, oh, no, there's definitely <laughs> – a, a uh, mistake that she made. Definitely. Yeah. She she talks a little bit about it with Parks, but not as much as what they say in the book about, yeah. you know, she gives the rundown in the book about, you know, everything went to heck in a handbasket and this is what I didn't have to go forward and I realized I was getting away with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've all, Parks is right. They've all had to do things that they didn't, that they're not proud of, but, you know, the life, the way things are, it's a much different world. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Steve, I have all, <laughs> not many other notes, again, because everything is covered in the big main, Melanie, overarching with everybody else. But um, just other little just to know things I like, of course, is when they're all in the van and Parks realizes she's in the van and they stop and the parks is like, we're going to kill her. And Caldwell's like, no, we need her alive for this. And Helen instead is just, just run, just get away from these people. This is bad for you. And, and Melanie takes off for a little bit and then stops and just sits down and is just taking in the world. Mm-hmm. And after this conversation, you know, they're like, well, we do need to keep her with us. She is important. And Helen goes back up to her and you see this connection, you know, just <laughs> don't come too close to me. And then, you know, you can see that Melanie is having this kind of, questioning moment of who am i am mm-hmm. i the monster am i and and helen has that moment where she says you know you saved me just like in your story and melanie is like but it's not like my story because the, the girl in my story didn't eat people mm-hmm. you know that's what the monsters did and she's having that kind of existential dread on who am i what am i and it's good that justin is there for her through all of that yeah, like I said earlier, I feel like she, this movie was about Melanie digging into and trying to figure out who she is. Yeah, and it all comes kind of to Pandora's box. She's the one that holds this box with all of these, you know, she brings the gifts, but also opens this box to a world of torment and destruction for a lot of people. But there's hope in the bottom, even though, like I said, it's... May not be hope for the human race, but there's hope for this second generation of Hungries who are alive mm-hmm. and have thoughts and are, can learn and are functioning living children who will become functioning living people mm-hmm. who have inherited this earth and she's given them hope. Um, and then that, and then also really plays off of Schrodinger's cat that Caldwell loved to keep bringing up is. What is Melanie? Well, she says, you know, am I alive or am I the monster? Well, both. Yeah. <laughs> you can be. When she says, well, the, you know, the cat is alive or dead. The cat's both. Well, that's stupid. Well, she comes to learn. Maybe that's not so stupid after all. Maybe I'm both. I can be both. I can live in both things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah so the the only note that with with hell and justin now is just that ending like i said you know <laughs> a little bit didn't hold off too long but yeah uh where we see you know the spores are all falling but helen was still passed out a little bit longer so she stayed in rosie there she's safe inside there with the airlocks and we see that somehow some time has passed and Melanie has somehow been able to retrieve the kids from the base. I don't really know how they don't really show too much of like, that must've been quite a something. I don't think they got too far, but um, yeah, no. So she's got the, the other students from the, the base mixed with the, the wild hungry children she's found. And she's wrangled everybody in into one group and she's got, Justin O as the teacher again, telling them their stories and teaching them things, catching the wild children up to where the others are. And, and Justin O kind of has this role as the enlightener and teacher of this next generation, which I means not really a happy ending. No. You know, humanity is kind of doomed. Justin O's left as one of these like last people on earth, if not the last. Um, not read the book, so you know. <laughs> there's there's things. But Yeah. I preferred that book ending. I yeah. really did because they were there was a little more hope. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not really a happy ending for Helen Justin though, because yeah, she's alive, but she can't leave Rosie. She is stuck inside her. She's kind of swapped places with Melanie. She is now waking up every morning in, a in her own little cell prison cell where she has to go through this whole routine every day that she can't break from. <laughs> yeah. Melanie's in charge now. Yeah. She definitely was wrangling those kids. That's for sure. Yeah. The animal kids, the intelligent wildlings, I guess wildling is a good term for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The book has a different ending, subtly different. Um, in the book, Justino can wear an environmental protection suit and is able to go out and be among the intelligent hungries. And she mm-hmm. does start teaching them the alphabet. Yeah. I liked that maybe. better. It was it had a little more hope. In the movie version, maybe they eventually can get to that. Just <laughs> I hope so. For for her, it'd be good. Uh but yeah, that's really notes there. Uh so I don't know, I feel like if I have any other notes about any other characters, I've covered most of them. So let's see just what small things for Parks. Um, very early on, he is very attached to the phrase, you friggin' abortions. Uh, yes. It was It was almost like he said it once. It was like, oh, snap, this is my thing. I'm going to say it as much as I can now. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, we talked Patty Considine. I love him doing that. Uh, yeah, uh, we didn't really talk about the scene. Uh when they do stop to get water and Gallagher forgot his suppressor on his gun. So when he fires off at a sound, he heard it brings hungries into them and they kind of have to fight their way out to escape where Dylan, the other soldier that's with them is bitten. Although he's denying that he was bitten, but parks is smart enough to make sure he doesn't let him into the truck. And he's like, well, we're going to wait because it's not going to take long. We've seen that transformation is pretty quick. If you did get bitten and, so he's like, we're just going to wait for a second. And we'll see if you got bit or not. And clearly he did. And as soon as he gets, he shows that he's infected. Parks just shoots him and they take off. Well, try to take off. It doesn't start, but, <laughs> but that's kind of, he just shoots him and closes the door. He's like, all right, that job is done for now. That kind of reminded me of on world war Z when 
Jerry and his family are in the apartment building and they're not really sure how they spread the virus that causes everyone to turn into zombies. So he thinks he may be infected. So he runs to the edge and waits and counts to see if he's going to turn into a zombie. So that kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Uh huh. Caldwell would be next. Don't know if I have any more. Um, so yeah, just uh, her scientific understanding of a lot of things when they come across the hungries that were dead and, you know, just shells like what Ophiocordyceps does to ants mm-hmm. at a certain point. It's that same thing where, yeah, the, the, the vessels, the bodies that were holding this fungus that they were controlling, they've moved on from that. It's the next step in the evolution, she says, where the bodies are dead now, but they've all clumped together into these like giant spore pods that are coming up off these stalks and they find some smaller ones. And then that's when they find the tower where all, which is why, you know, it's like, yeah, they've moved on. There's no hungries in the area because they've all clumped together and died. And now they have all sprouted these giant stalks for the spore pods. Uh, and yeah, that's, she knows where that's leading to airborne pathogen spores where she says, you know, you'd catch it just by breathing. And so it's like, what does that mean? It's like the end of the world, probably. <laughs> yeah. And that's it there for her. I think the first time we really see the Hungries was really cool. Uh, talking about Hungries now. Moving on to those. I Let's talk about the Hungries. Right. Just little extra notes that I've got. Uh, I think the first time we really see them is pretty cool. I mean, we see the all of them outside the, the gate, the perimeter, when Parks is transporting Melanie. But the first time we see them up close is, yeah, when they do breach in. And as the shutters are coming down in the lab, we're called. I was like, no, we're going to go ahead and just do it now. Just close ourselves off. And then. You see them in the background running through into the facility. <gasps> oh, and yeah. Comes crashing through the window and grabs Dr. Selkirk. That's really cool. I liked I, I that a lot, that. too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you thought you were going to get down to business, but guess what? You're closed for the day. Yeah. But yeah, that's literally all the notes I have. So, <laughs> Well, we have done pretty much all of mine, except I have an interesting list of some of the differences between the two. The book and the movie. The book, I loved that there was so much character development. He was so descriptive when he wrote this book, talking about each of the characters. So you would get a good visualization in your head, even if the movie flipped it all around on you. (laughs) Because it Mm -hmm. did. Um, We've already talked about the flip-flop of Melanie... And Helen's races. Um, Instead of Caldwell deciding what numbers or what children she was going to take to dissect, um, she had Melanie give her a number. So that was different. In the book, it wasn't Melanie giving a number. Um, Let's see. Parks and Helen had a little bit of a not a huge romance, but they kissed at least um, in the book. That was more of a thing that um, we didn't get to see. And it kind of made me laugh because Melanie had that quote where she, she's never going to touch you. It just made me laugh. I'm like, well, <laughs> not in this universe. Not in this in universe. The multiverse, it's a little different. <laughs> yeah. Of course, there's no junkers in the movie. We did get them um, in the book. 
Um, in the book, um, Gallagher, Kieran Gallagher actually left them. He wasn't out on a run. He ran away and he died with a group of children. Like they did kill him, but he does try to shoot them first, not just use a grenade. In the book, Caldwell does kill and examine one of the intelligent kids. She doesn't do that in the movie. In the book, Parks is bitten. It's not about the spores uh, killing him. Um, and I don't believe Melanie killed the leader of the kids in the book like she did in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that didn't happen. In fact, she didn't want to tell the adults about the kids at all. Because she was afraid that they'd be experimented on. Which, why wouldn't she think that, given Caldwell's blind devotion to the mission at hand? Yeah. Which was futile, really. As soon as they left that base, it was futile. Like, Mm -hmm. it was not going to happen. To me, her wanting to do the um, dissecting of Melanie was just... She didn't have to do it. And her wanting to was just ridiculous because it wasn't going to change anything. Right. So those are the, I I believe the major differences that I saw. Nice. Caldwell was wicked cold in the books too. Like she was, uh, I did not like her at all. But like I said earlier, Glenn Close made me warm up to her just a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think. Yeah, we mentioned that. Yeah, it was like Glenn Close added an extra layer to the character. And I kind of figured she would. That's why I said when the casting was announced for this movie after I read the book. And I was like, oh, yes, please give me all the Glenn Close. (laughs) I I need that. (laughs) Yes, especially after reading the book. There was another cool scene, too, though, um, when Melanie wants Helen to read a story to the class. It's about Greek mythology. And in the book... Um, Helen gives Melanie the the actual book to take back. She slides it down in like in her chair so that no one can see it. And she sneaks it back to the room so she can read it. Mm -hmm. And then of course she's taken like the next day. So she didn't really get much time to read it. It's very unfortunate, but those are all the notes that I have. I really enjoyed the movie but I really love the book. I think there's just so much in it. The style, the way that the characters are built right from the beginning. And there isn't, I mean, there are arcs of characters, but there was nothing out of characters were doing what you would think they would do based on what they gave us as their background information And if there were changes, it's because you actually visibly in your head see the changes and the arcs as you go. Mm -hmm. And I liked that. So I'm sorry that it took me so long to read it (laughs) because I've had it for a year, but it was worth it to take, you know, to make the time to read it so we could cover it on the podcast and really talk about the book as well. Yeah, sure. I Yep, it's it's been kind of a long time coming. I'm glad that we finally did this one. Uh, yeah, again, just being a huge fan of it in any form that it has existed. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, just 
I, I, I wonder if we'll see any more movie adaptations. I hope from so. From the worlds that M.R. Carey has built. Again, because knowing, you know, I've read most of them and I've seen all the worlds he's built because I'm in the ones I haven't read are part of a trilogy that I have read, at least the first book. So I know what, you know, so the worlds that he builds, the newer ones I could see really working well, but then he also has some that are very uh, supernatural Mm -hmm. thrillers that deal with a lot of mental things and things that are going on in people's minds and in their heads and their thoughts. Mm -hmm. That's harder to add to a screen um, when a lot of the, action and suspense is all going on in somebody's head that is a little harder to do so <laughs> yeah but but i i it'd be interested to see so yeah because i mean he under under the name of mr carry under that title he hasn't written a ton i could easily i could give you what they are owning all of them so i would definitely recommend checking out i mean of course girl with all the gifts was the start and then fell side which kind of a supernatural thriller takes place in a women's prison um that sounds really like cool. a bizarre location for a supernatural yeah. thriller. <laughs> yeah, and then there's Boy on the Bridge, which was the prequel to Girl with All the Gifts. And then uh at least Someone Like Me, which is just wow. Um another kind of psychological mental thriller of this woman who I don't even want to give anything away on that <laughs> one. It's it's you know, yeah, just if you like his writing, just go into that one blind. It's incredible. Um, someone like me. And then these last books have been this like three part trilogy. He kind of wrote together in like a post apocalyptic yet primitive world. Um, and it's the rampart trilogy, which is the, the book of Coley, the trials of Coley and the fall of Coley. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about that a little bit before we recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like we have to move on to the other tidbits and trivia items that I found for this wonderful movie. Mm-hmm. So half of the film's four million pound budget came from the BFI Film Fund and Creative England, making it the biggest investment that Creative England had ever made, one of the largest ever for the BFI Film Fund. In an interview with Mom Advice, M.R. Carey stated that we went a slightly different way in the movie, especially when it came to point of view, where the novel moves between the five characters and lets us see what's going on in all their heads. The movie sticks with Melanie all the way, and there are no junkers in the movie. Yes. Clarified that already. (laughs) So M.R. Carey had a cameo as one of the hungries that are railing against the fence trying to get into the military base. He is near the front wearing a jacket and blue shirt. I'll have to re-watch and see if I can see him. <laughs> Pake has already given you all the information on the ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Okay. <laughs> or unilateralis as a Unilateral? Caldwell. Yes. Caldwell unilateral. unilateral it's... Hey that do a real wheel. Unilateral see, see I was gonna say unilateralis, but uni, unilateralis is how yes. Caldwell pronounces it, and so it's probably correct. But Ophiocordyceps I can say twenty times fast. I can tell uh, that. <laughs> it's basically a zombie fungus that infects carpenter ants. 
We're not, mm. we've already been down that road. We don't have to talk about it again. Yeah. The base where the Hungries breached the fences soon after the beginning is filmed at the former RAF Cardington in Bedfordshire. The base was built for the UK's airship program, World War One. The site's now known as Cardington Studios. And I don't feel like I need to go into the prequel novel because Pake's already talked about it. There is a tagline, though, that I saw on one of the book covers, and it says, not every bridge should be crossed. It basically, Pake has already alluded to some of this, and it has to do with Rosie and maybe the crew. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to elaborate on it any more than that. Right. <laughs> not giving anything away, and maybe someday we can cover it on Run for Your Lives, if it's ever made into a movie. Yeah, I... I would like to see that world and some of the visuals and some of the characters that were in that book that I'm a huge fan of the way they're written. Obviously. I mean, just like some of the characters here, there's one of the uh, hungry children, intelligent children, whatever that is uh, described in boy on the bridge that I just, I was like, that is the coolest thing. It's like, even (laughs) as like a tribal, crazy, wild zombie child, this, this little dude has style. And I was (laughs) like, to where I've like, I wanted to commission a friend of mine to like draw a whole piece of it because I was like, man, that visual is so cool. You should do that. <laughs> Maybe I'll start reminding you, hey, because I know which friend you're talking about and you definitely yeah. need to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I'd like to see that. I know that the the prequel book, Boy on the Bridge, was not as well received as Girl with All the Gifts. There are a lot of articles out there of people being very disappointed in it and thinking it did more harm than good to the story that they love and grow with all the gifts. But I don't agree. I thoroughly loved it. And I think it built that world even more for me. I think I, I, I did. I read some of the like blogs and articles and, and thought pieces on why I did. And as a time I was like, okay, your thoughts are valid, but you're wrong. <laughs> like I'm like, I mean, it's like, if you look at it one way, sure. But I was like, but you got to look at it. From a different you point of view. You ha- know, I feel like when you go into any prequel, you have to you have to forget some of what you saw or read mm-hmm. before. To open yeah, your you have to open your mind to what journey that's going to be. Yeah, because a lot of people complain about like, well, we have a prequel, like we know the world like ends basically and everything that they're working, all the science and all the things they're trying to do in boy is futile because we know where it goes from. That doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, but enjoy the story and the characters that are being given to you. Then don't worry about what happens later. Enjoy what you're looking at now. Yeah. Yeah. I think of it like Titanic. You go to the movies, you know, the boat's going to sink, but you still want to see the story. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. Man. All right. I think we did it. (gasps) There's that feedback phone. All right. I'm uh, hoping we have some stuff from here. All right. Check the feedback phone. And um, holy crap, we got a lot of feedback this week. We got <laughs> we more did. than usual. And I really like that. And also, giving them a little scan, there might be maybe my favorite and coolest feedback we've ever had ever included in this one. And I cannot wait to get to it. But we'll I get know. to it when we get to it. <laughs> <laughs> We will. First, we have a message from Jerry about It Follows. He says, I love that It never quits, just keeps walking and walking towards its intended victim. Agreed. Yeah, 
Very creepy. Very, very creepy. <laughs> so creepy. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting some uh, feedback on previous movies, and we do. We're going back to It Follows, and then now we have some thoughts on another previous one in Bird Box. And we got a lot of good stuff from Tony over here on Instagram. Uh, she gave us at first a uh, pre-watch and post-watch feedback, uh, which is yes, interesting. I like it, though. I like it. At first, she, she goes, does that for yeah. us sometimes, and yeah. I appreciate that from her. Yeah. So first she says, I just turned the movie on as I see this post. I remember liking it, but it has been a while. I do remember she wouldn't name the kids and she was so mean to them. Anyway, I'm watching now. So cool seeing your setup. I'll try to give you some feedback later. Yeah, we uh, the, the, see, uh, the feedback or the setup thing is referring to on our Instagram and, and Twitter and stuff. Daphne posted a picture of our computer setup and recording setup since we were in the same place recording last week. I did find a, another portal to get back home. So... We're, yes. we're in separate places again. <laughs> Thankfully, I wasn't trapped in whatever dimension I was in. We're good. I got it home. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was so cool <laughs> to get to do that in person. It was the first time. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And then her after watching, she goes on with more feedback saying, okay, I finished Bird Box. I liked it the first time around. I enjoyed it so much more. But Sandra Bullock is so great as Mallory. I'm less hard on her this time around being tough with the kids because I knew the ending and that she loved them very much. Her relationship with Tom, with Tom is beautiful and ends so tragically with him dying, saving their lives. John Malkovich is always fun to watch. What I hated, the river scene when they fell in the water and A, don't drown, and B, find each other, and C, crack their skulls on a rock. Like, seriously, ugh, unbelievable. But all is forgiven when they are safe inside the sanctuary because the girl and boy get their names, Olympia and Tom. She, meaning Sandra Bullock's character, <laughs> scatterbrained. Also, I realized I can leave a much longer reply here on Instagram. I always think my feedback feels so incoherent. You don't have to share this. I'm just thinking out loud. Well, we shared it all out loud. Yes. And we love seemingly incoherent sometimes because stream of consciousness. You listen to this podcast. Yes. You know, we do the same thing all yes, the time. <laughs> and if you want to leave the feedback on Instagram, Tony, because that works better for you, because you want to leave longer feedback, you go right ahead. I'll make sure to check it and get it into our rotation for feedback for the week mm -hmm. now we are moving on to this week's movie which is the girl with all the gifts we're going to start off with kelly who said such a great book and i really enjoyed the movie as well yeah me too kelly because i finished the book as i said earlier in the episode i finished the book just before we recorded the episode so mm -hmm. which is was fun so, coming so into good. that so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And this comes from Hugh Parker on Twitter. It says, it's a great book and a great film. Always wondered why the races of Melanie and Miss Justino were switched from the book, though. I hope it was nothing more sinister than Sinia Nanua being a great actress for the role, because she was great. To which we got a reply on his feedback there from the one, the only author of The Girl with All the Gifts and screenwriter for the movie. M.R. Carey himself, who I've given so much praise throughout this podcast. And yeah, hit him up on Twitter with knowing this episode was coming out with feedback. And he came through with some really cool stuff, retweeted us, which thank you, Mr. Carey, so much for that. So that much, yeah. Really cool. And then, yeah, gave an answer to that question that uh, Hugh was asking. So I love. So this coming from the man behind the story itself, M.R. Carey, about the casting of Sunina Nua, which says it was exactly that. 
We wanted a, diver- a diverse cast, but went in without any ring fencing or preconceptions. Sonia got the role because she was awesome and had great on-screen chemistry with Gemma Arterton, which was crucial. Which Agreed. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. So we have some an answer to a question. I think we even mentioned it while recording the, the episode, talking about the casting early on in our conversation about the movie. So it's cool to have some insight and answers to those questions from the man behind the story itself. So that's really awesome. Yes. Yes, we really appreciated him, you know, retweeting us and responding to Hugh's question or his comment, because that does answer something that we talked about in this episode. So I really appreciate it. And I already have purchased his prequel book on Audible so that I can listen to it. I love it. It's a good one. (laughs) And what episode of Run For Your Lives would be complete without... A message from Steve Brown. So here is what Steve had to say about the girl with all the gifts. Oh, run for your lives. This is Steve. Uh, this is going to be for the girl with all the gifts. Um, by the way, it's not on Netflix anymore. I had to, I had to rent it on Amazon Prime. No big. Um, but uh, no, I'm not going to live Steve it because I don't want to. I am going to live Steve this bit, though. <laughs> Why are we just getting counting at the beginning? By the way, by the way, I know this movie has something to do with zombies, but I don't really know anything else about it. Ew, they feed them live worms? Okay, I don't know what these kids are, but that's freaky. And I said I wasn't going to live Steve it. I'm not. But all of, all of them are reacting to this, this guy spitting on his arm, though. <laughs> Do you want a cat? I already had one. Okay, so I, uh, I finished uh, the movie. Wow, um, interesting ending. I'm, uh, I'm a little – I think the only thing I'm confused about is does Miss Gustino just, – just, Helen, what's yeah? Does she have enough food and water to sustain her in that environment to be able to teach the new generation of zombies? I guess that's what's supposed to be going on. But man, wow, good movie. Um, Sergeant Parks, uh, you know, kind of a dick at the beginning, but really he wasn't though. He answered Melanie's questions. He was always, at least he was always like, um. I don't know what's the word to, to how he treated her. He didn't treat her badly. He just treated her like a, a prisoner, like what she was. Um, so, but then of course for him to end the way he did and, uh, Melanie being the one to put him out of his misery. But gosh, wow. Good movie. Uh, can't wait to hear you guys talk about it. I, like I said, I'm so busy. Uh, I probably won't even be able to listen to this one until, uh, sometime two weeks from now. Wow. Thanks, Steve, for sending in that feedback. Yeah, that was that was interesting. That was a hybrid live steving slash regular feedback. And yeah, I kind of really dig it. <laughs> Me too. Peg, you're going to have to come up with a name for it. It's <laughs> not live steving, but it's not regular feedback. So it's got to mm-hmm. be something. And for anyone who doesn't know, it was actually run for your lives and peg that came up with the term live steving <laughs> and it's now kind of become a fun little commentary piece for our podcasting group yeah but yeah that was really really great and i'm glad you enjoyed the movie and uh took a lot yeah we talked about a lot of those same things in the episode whenever you, you know have listened to this so yeah that was awesome thanks steve yeah um funny thing on twitter this week is one of the other folks that we follow on Twitter came up with a question. Basically, name a movie that traumatized you as a child. And Peg, what did you say in response oh, yeah. to that? I responded as the Run for Your Lives account. Yeah, uh, 
with a movie that we covered a long time ago. So if you want to go back and, and talk about that. Yeah. Uh, Dante's Peak, for sure, traumatized me a long time as a kid. Uh, I just said that poor grandma. If you know, you know. You know? <laughs> we talked about yeah. that. If you've listened to that episode or go back and check our episode out if you're a newer listener. Yeah, Dante's Peak. Man, that scene lived in my little kid brain for way too long and I couldn't. I was like, no, no. Just like nightmares, man. Nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? For me, it was Children of the Corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically the beginning of the movie, um, there's a scene in the diner where the kids, under the guise of the boy preacher, kill all the adults in the town, and there's just some things that happen in that scene. Even him walking into the window wearing the black hat freaked me out. Mm-hmm. That is one that sticks with me 100% the entire time. So I just kind of wanted to chat about that. I thought it would be fun to uh, to share that here with our listeners. Yeah. So yeah, uh, maybe that's a little extra feedback fun for people. We did this on Strange Indeed with um, Vecna songs. So maybe if people want a little extra feedback to throw in, if you don't have thoughts about certain movies or whatever, then those of you who are listening, you know where, you know, to reach us and Daphne will remind you very soon. Just give us yes. like, what are the movies that traumatized you as a kid that... Maybe you've gotten over and enjoy now, or you still can't watch to this day because they messed with you so much. I'd love to know. <laughs> yeah, so would I. But if you would like to submit feedback, like Jerry, Tony, Kelly, Hugh Parker, really happy to get your feedback this week, and the amazing feedback from Mr. M.R. Carey and our good friend Steve. You can do so by going to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. You can email us at runfearlivespodcast at gmail.com. Tweet at us at rfylpodcast. DM us or message us on Instagram at runfearlivespodcast. If you are enjoying the show, tell your friends. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much all other podcast players including YouTube. Go to runforyourlivespodcast.com for all the links you'll ever need and give us a review on Apple Podcasts as that's the best way to share the love and get us out there even more. We really appreciate it. Absolutely do appreciate any and all feedback. It's it's always so awesome to hear from anyone and everyone who's got something to say on social media or calling in on voicemails. Always fun. Of course, talking about sharing the love, got to give some shout outs to things going on in the podcast universe around us. As I kind of just mentioned, my other podcast, Strange Indeed, we are wrapping up Stranger Things 4 pretty soon. We uh, just dropped the episode 8, Papa, Papa, um, very, <laughs> yeah, you this know, week. You know. Yeah, so that <laughs> is out. And then next week, we will be covering the season 4 finale. Whoo, a lot in there. Um I'm ready for it. I'm excited to talk about it. Prep is going to be hell because, I mean, how do I, I mean, I say that, like, how do I prep for two and a half hours? We've done it on this podcast before with some of the movies we've covered. We have. But yeah, but TV shows are different. There's so many other intertwined things. Well, I'll I'll see how we can do. Plus we record Strange Indeed a little earlier in the day than we usually do over here. So (laughs) I'll figure it out. I'm excited to talk about that finale though, because- Holy crap. I'm not going to say anything. Most people probably have watched it by now, but still, just in case, not spoiling anything because we had to survive week to week without spoilers the best we could. So mm-hmm. definitely don't want to be the reason somebody gets spoiled this far out now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was rough. 
going week to week, but I'm glad that I did. I have not seen the finale yet, but I will be watching it this weekend. Because it's two and a half hours long, <laughs> it's not something I can watch. You know, mm-hmm. after it, yeah, so I'm going to be watching it this weekend. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little nervous for the characters, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, on House Podcastica and the Better Call Saul cast, Better Call Saul is back. And the mid-season oh, premiere is here. They've dropped the episode. I haven't listened to it yet. That is next on my docket to listen to. Probably on my way to work tomorrow. That is my plan is to start that episode. <laughs> Cannot wait. Um, so, yeah, uh, Better Call Saul. Holy crap. I mean, we talked about so it a lot good. on that first part of the season, this final season. And now that the... Uh, B season, you know, season six B is it six? Pretty sure, yeah. It is six. Six B is here, and they started off running right where they ended. Man, what mm-hmm. a what a premiere! So, yeah, very excited that Better Call Saul is back. I'm really sad that it's going to be over sooner than I'm ready for, but I'm glad to have yeah. Rima and Jason and David breaking down the episodes as we go because their conversations about it have always been so good. Well, you know, Better Call Saul got some Emmy love because it got mm-hmm. some no- nominations for Best Show, along with Stranger Things and some other popular shows that had great seasons. But the actors also got a lot of love yeah, as well. Good. Yeah, they deserve it. They really do. It's been and a great year of TV, I think. It, oh, yes, it really has. It's going to be really difficult. Coming. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of good TV, another show that just wrapped this week is the Disney Plus series, Miss Marvel. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I think, you know, it's a, it's a new flavor and Marvel's playing with a lot of new flavors right now. And I think Miss Marvel is a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff. And I'm not going to spoil anything again, but a little tease. If you haven't watched it or if you watched it, that season finale, maybe series finale, I don't know, uh, dropped some real big things subtly. So, uh, Big things coming for the MCU that they just kind of threw out in the Miss Marvel finale. So be looking for that because that's holy dang. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to hear coverage on Miss Marvel, definitely check out Panels to Pixels, where Mark and Steve are talking at, and then also TV Podcast Industries. You can check out Derek and John over there. And so, yeah, great Miss Marvel coverage, Panels to Pixels, and TV Podcast Industries. On Adrenaline Cinema this week, Mark and Lizzie are covering 1997's Contact. So if you are a fan of that one, definitely check that out and see what they break down with that movie. And that's really it for this week. A lot of other podcasts are kind of on their off weeks. so <laughs> Yeah. But plenty to listen to still right there. Man, a lot. Yeah. Our friends have been busy. Nobody's podcasting on it, but watch Westworld season four. It's been so good too. I'm just throwing that out there. Ah, uh, great. Has it? Yes. Because I'm behind. <laughs> I need to catch up. Just gonna throw that I've out there. Talk about good up. TV. Westworld season four is out. Not a lot of people are talking about it, but like, it's really, really good right now. <laughs> awesome. Then I will have to dig into that this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, talking back to this podcast, what's happening next week right here on Run for Your Lives? A simple documentary on a hidden Amazonian tribe becomes much more sinister when the team rescues a reptile hunter with an ulterior motive. 
While saving his life, he soon shows he has no regard for theirs. We are discussing the 1997 film Anaconda. It's a fun one. It <laughs> definitely, definitely is. Give us your thoughts, your feedback, things on that one, and we'll get to it next week. Yes, sure. it's going to be great. With that, we have reached the end of another fun episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Daphne. And I'm Pake. And if you have to run, you better run for your lives. Bye-bye.